Hey guys, what's up? Uh, yeah, I am recording this Christmas night, so it's been a very busy weekend. I got 20 titles to talk about, so I'm going to be a little bit more brief with some of the titles. Anyways, if your boy Mr. Parker's off, he's exhausted. So uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy this one. Excuse King, back in full. Uh, we're going to start this off with some of the Shaw Brothers collection here. This is the, what, Shaw Scope, and this is Volume 1. Uh, there's probably going to be more, which is awesome. Now, I did not watch all 12 movies from this set yet. I'm probably going to break this up in chunks. I watched the first four, so they're going to be like, this will be done over three weeks. Next week, I might skip the Shaw Brothers and do like some other movies and everything like that, just because, you know, you don't want to get all kung fu'd out, because that could very well happen, I know. Uh, so far, I'll, I'll break down these titles a little bit, but as a whole, I thought the set was uh, is actually pretty good. Every title in here I enjoyed so far out of the first four, um, and I, I, I'm not sure if I like the layout 100%. I like I like how it looks. I like how uh, it unfolds. Everything's very cool. But it's just kind of going to be hard to, when you go to put it on the shelf, it's going to be like one of those Godzilla Criterions or one of those Gamera or uh, Hershagor Lewis cereal set. You're going to be like, I don't know how to store this. So I guess we're going to, it's kind of lays out like this with the with the eight disc, I believe, in here. Ten disc and the last two are CDs. But the first film in the collection is King Boxer. Um, yeah, and this is also known as Fist of Fury, which I think a lot of people will know that title uh because it's got the infamous uh kind of like the the crazy red fist and the uh the sound music cues that were used later i'm sure in quentin tarantino movies and probably a dozen other shaw brother movies but uh king boxer it does share a lot of similarities to the chinese boxer another shaw brothers film but this one it feels almost like two films in one uh all these runtimes on these movies like i i had seen a handful of shaw brothers movies and enjoyed all the martial arts so when i said i was like i don't remember the runtimes being particularly long but this one was like an hour and 40 minutes 49 minutes i'll like oh this is kind of a beefy kind of runtime for this kind of you know b-movie stuff here um and i don't mean that as insult i love b-movies so we have king boxer so uh this is kind of like your classical kind of shaw brothers film where we have somebody kind of learning like they're training to be in this tournament and everything like that uh and at first this guy he's not quite as good as he should be so his master sends him to learn from another master and he's kind of on the bottom rung and he builds himself up to eventually kind of be given this special teaching where he's going to learn this iron fist kind of technique move and he's learning all this to be like part of this major tournament so their like kind of school can be the, the you know the top of the the top of the heap the, the be like crowned the best so of course there is uh, someone within the school that doesn't like this and then there's a bunch of baddies and like the Chinese boxer uh, uh, the baddies hire these uh, these outsourced guys, these uh, Japanese guys, to come in and kind of ruin some things. So it's up to the hero to kind of face off against all these other people. And uh, what I noticed about this one the most is how ruthless it is when it comes to people being killed. There's a lot of kind of like uh, a lot of characters involved. There's a huge love story at the same time, um, or you know the character has uh, you know a, a love from home that like his old master's daughter and everything, and they're kind of destined to be together. And there's this also this singer who's interested in him. So it's a, it's like a really kind of an epic complicated deal and by the end of it there's so many characters and they all kind of have their ends and it, it's, it's uh, actually pretty satisfying and the iron the iron fist technique is pretty awesome punching through like you know uh, wooden piers and all that kind of stuff like that so 
this one, uh, it, it started off pretty interesting, and it, it felt like three movies in one. We had the love story, we had the training montage, and the, the revenge school aspects at each other's throats, the schools and everything, and then we had the tournament, which I love seeing the tournament at the very end. But as far as special features are concerned, we have um, uh, the brand new commentary by David Dresser, co-editor of the Cinema of Hong Kong and the Journal of Japanese and Korean Cinema, newly filmed appreciation by film critic and historian Tony Raines, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be in through a lot of this set. He's on all four, he's on the first four movies talking about them quite a bit it's the interview with director chung chang wa filmed in 2003 and 2004 by uh frederick amaswin i'm terrible with names this is a very <laughs> name i've never seen pronounced out loud um then we have interview with uh star wang ping filmed in 2007 interview with korean cinema expert chow young jung author of the chow chang wa man of action filmed in 2005 and then we have cinema hong kong kung fu the first three part first of a, in a three-part documentary on shaw brothers place within the martial arts genre produced by Celestial Pictures in 2003 featuring interviews of Jackie Chan, Jet Li, John Wu, Sammo Hung, Gordon Liu, uh, Lao Kar Ling, Chang Piu Piu, and David Chang, and many others. So that has, uh, they started that, that's pretty interesting, it has a bunch of people, and uh, has the alternate openings of Five Fingers of Death. So I believe that is the alternate name. Did I say that, or did I say Fist of Fury was the alternate name? Five Fingers of Death? These movies have a lot of multiple names, and they all sound similar. So, also, they have a lot of the same similar actors that pop up in the Shaw Brothers movies. This one of the, the lead in this, I believe he pops up a Chinese boxer as well. Like even the ba main bad Japanese guy in this one is the main bad Japanese guy in Chinese boxer. So he kind of shoehorned that in, but I was just amazed at the end carnage on this one, uh, how many characters were in here. And I was like, this movie doesn't spare anybody, but entertaining one, good stuff. Uh, a lot of cool deaths at the end. I'm always like, hyped by the end of these movies. They always deliver the goods. So that is King Boxer. Okay, the next ones in the Shawscope set is the Boxer from Shang Tung. Um, and I'm going to say this here. This is the longest one of the four, but it also happens to be my favorite of the four that I watched for this. So this one uh, is kind of a get rich, rags to riches story here, uh, where we have this uh, stranger coming to town, and he, he him and his best friend, he calls him brother. You know, I don't know if that's a sign of just like their friendship or actual siblings in this case. So uh, originally he kind of, I mean, right off the bat, he meets Tang. And this this is kind of guy who runs this place. Um, he is cocky, and he kind of is like one of the two kind of crime bosses that runs everything. And right away, the main character sees him, interacts with him, and says, "Well, I'm going to be as big as you. I'm going to be your equal. I'm not going to work for you." Yada yada yada. And this guy is a master at kung fu. So uh, he starts to build him up himself up slowly, having some fights with some goons, and before long, he's actually being paid dues from uh, the people's business as protection and he becomes like one of the top dogs and it's kind of like a story about greed and you know not turning into that thing that uh, you know that, that, that was there before and all that kind of stuff and there's like a love story angle but it, it kind of builds up with all these bad guys there's these these people called the four uh, four champions and you only see like three of them throughout the entire movie but there is a fourth one he's like the main bad guy's personal bodyguard and there are so many cool bad guys in this movie like he has all these run-ins with these three champions throughout the four of the four champions throughout the entire movie and like there's a lot of comedy bits because it's a big epic it's like two hours for a kung fu movie that's pretty epic okay but he breaks this guy's arm a couple times and it just becomes like this comedy thing and uh, there's also this great scene where he goes on stage and there's that kind of carnival aspect where they have this like big imported European guy and they're like anybody that can knock him over gets $20 it's 20 cents to enter you know 
kind of deal. And of course, nobody can knock this monstrosity over, but our champion's going to have a go at it too, which I absolutely loved. Um, anyways, there's these lots of uh, giant fight scenes where he takes on whole groups of people and he starts to kind of like build up his own men and starts to get his own territory and everything like that, like a rags to riches story, kind of like Scarface or something. But the whole thing uh, ends in this uh, amazing sequence inside this uh, restaurant where everybody is a bad guy. And I don't want to spoil this, but every single character that he's been fighting throughout the entire movie ends up being there and it turns into the most ridiculous over-the-top amazing bloodbath fight kung fu scene i've ever seen i was so hyped throughout this entire thing and i'm a sucker for like building all these characters up and having a tons of bad guys and characters throughout the entire movie and then at the very end there's just like an onslaught and a bunch of people die that you recognize i'm like this is so exciting i'm so excited and i was just so hyped for this i was so happy literally and it ends in like this almost kind of really nihilistic insane way um anyways just an excellent kung fu movie with a good message and i enjoyed the main character and everything like that um just it worked really well and at first you see the runtime for this and you're like oh i don't know that's a seems a bit long but by the end of it i was so invested i i love this one um the boxer from shang tong uh great stuff as far as the special features are concerned this disc is on uh by itself as well it has uh Okay, so we have an uh, interview with Chang Chung Tao, filmed in 2007. Interview with assistant director John Wu. Yeah, that's right. John fucking Wu worked on this movie. Uh, filmed in 2004. Interview with star David Chang, in two, filmed in 2003. Conversation between stars Chen Kao Tao and Ke, uh, Ku, um, Ku Fang, filmed at the Shaw Brothers Union in 2007. And then we have Hong Kong and German theatrical trailers, plus TV spots. So, very cool. Also, really like that artwork on this one. That one's pretty cool. Enjoy it. I mean, it looks a little bit more modern than you would think for the Shabu stuff. But anyways, that one was that was a great movie. I really love that one. My favorite of the four that I watched so far. Okay, the next one I'm going to cover is The Five Shaolin Masters. I want to make sure. Uh, that one's this one over here. And these are both by the same director, actually. So, uh, yeah, this one. Uh, this one was kind of like a chase uh, deal going on where we have these uh, five Shaolin guys. They're kind of like the last of their types. Uh, they're kind of ridiculed. And, uh, you know, the changeovers of powers, everything. So they're being chased down by these baddies, and they're constantly on the run. And everywhere they go, like, anybody that helps them is picked off and everything. And it's like, they're trying to, like, kind of start this, you know, I would say kind of um, like a, a rebel kind of thing against these people or whatever. So um, it, it kind of goes down to the point where... Um, all these characters, they, they're facing off against this group of bad guys, and they all have a special talent. So they all have to learn their uh, amazing special talent and everything like that. And, uh, yeah, so it's a lot of training montages where they all have to figure the baddies' weaknesses and all the characters like that. This one was probably my least favorite of the four that I watched, but it was still fun, still interesting, still good stuff. Um, and the ending is also great. Like, all these movies deliver a great ending that you'll remember, so you always have a good, like, taste left in your mouth at the very end. But uh, I like how they kind of establish the characters and they're mostly just through their like uh, it's like a lot of training and a lot of different kind of weapon techniques and I'm a sucker for like kind of how like the Street Fighter movies will do it too they'll introduce these bad guys that all have their own like fighting technique and they somehow establish them very well which is very little kind of character development maybe just by the weapon they use and how they move and their their style is enough to kind of incorporate who their character is I'll, I'll also cover at the same time the Shaolin Temple which came out like four years later or two years later from this one it's 76 uh, has the same direction 
director as well. And I thought this one was pretty cool. And um, it's like this last, uh, they, they kind of go together, these two. They, it's like the last strong point in this area. Like the Emperor wants them all gone, kind of taken over. They don't want any threats in the area. And there's this Shaolin Temple where they teach martial artists, but they're not accepting any new kind of, uh, you know, martial artists to learn anything uh, unless somebody can really prove themselves. So the, in the very beginning, we have like these three individuals sitting outside for days and days waiting to be accepted inside this temple and eventually they're put in and they're put into all like menial jobs and like some oh you're going to be the cook you're going to be like the librarian and all those kind of menial jobs and they're just kind of confused by what they're doing to them but they don't realize that throughout this they're also learning a great base for their martial arts more people come of course and we're introduced to about i would say like um there's six there's like 12 kind of characters 12 major martial artist characters besides the teachers as well and they kind of all learn you learn kind of the setup of the school but of course there's a traitor in here that's kind of reporting to the emperor and everything like that and they're not liking what they're hearing so they're going to try to close this this temple down right and take care of everything so there's going to be a giant battle at the end but all the new students have learned their fighting techniques and there's going to be a giant stand uh, standoff here where i like this because the fighting and everything they're like running room to room and it seems it's like half the movie is like a big battle scene like 30 minutes of running in room to room kind of going back and forth and uh yeah there's a lot of comedy bits with the training of course like the guy finally learns how to jump with the 60 pound weights and he's he's great at it then all of a sudden they add the 120 pound weights and he's like oh but uh yeah it, it's all set up really nice and um i do like both those last two kind of like the shaolin monk movie ones because like all these movies are not scared to kill their main characters they're not scared to kill anyone and a lot of characters that are established that you kind of grown fond of they are killed um, and they and and you do feel those kills in the movie, but uh, yeah, I I enjoyed the Shaolin Temple a little bit more than the uh, Five Shaolin Masters. As far as the special features are concerned, we have a new film, a newly filmed appreciation by Chang Cho, film critic and historian uh, by film critic and historian Tony Raines, and he points out some interesting stuff. He points out that the director uh, had some like he was a, uh, a closet homosexual at, at points or something like that, not directly outward, and some of the stuff in the film seems a little bit more kind of like uh, you can kind of sense it a lot of shirtless guys and a lot of weird kind of uh internal injuries around the rectum and stuff like that and i found that kind of weird and strange in the film uh and then we have an interview with star kung du filmed in 2003 elegant trails david chang a feature an actor produced by celestial pictures and there's also one of those with uh, ten, uh tai lung and then we have alternate standard definition version of shaolin temple and alternate opening credits for Five Masters of Death, the U.S. version of Five Shaolin Masters. So, yeah, we got quite a bit. I'm looking forward to checking out uh, more of these sets, of course. Um, and there's also a very cool booklet. I meant more of these films in this set. Um, yeah, so just lots of cool stuff in here. Uh, it's that's the one bad thing about these sets is when you 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 want to talk about them and cover them you're like you never do them justice i can never do these justice because you want to get to them in a timely manner of their release so people know about them and everything before they sell out but then you're like i just can't watch 12 movies that quick but anyways i've i'm enjoying uh my journey so far with this and i think it's a really cool set and the shaw brothers and asian films for a long time was something i neglected until probably about you know like eight years ago i started getting into more asian films and i've loved the journey so many great great Asian horror films, but I've still missed out on a lot of the Kung Fu films and the Shaw Brothers films. I've seen some, um, but now I'm going to definitely see more and I'll seek out as many as I can get that are released on the, the Blu-ray and new formats and everything like that. Great stuff. I know I've seen that there, uh, some of the horror titles are coming out too. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. I'm glad um, 88 Films is putting some out in the States as well. So yeah, that is the first part of the Shaw Scope uh, review. I'm going to do this in three parts. Next week, we'll probably won't have any Shaw Brothers, but the week after that will for sure. 
Okay, now I have a bunch of 2021 uh, watches for you. I'm going to kind of breeze through some of these because I don't have all that much to say about a lot of the 2021 movies. And I'm also catching up, you know, to, for the year-end list. So the first one is one that's on Netflix. This is called Blood Red Sky. And uh, I am I know I sound like a dick here when I always talk about run times. Like, Dave, 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 I have ADHD, okay? Uh, but then if it's a great movie, I never even notice the run time. The Shaw Brothers movies, after about 20 minutes you're into it, I don't really worry about the run times. Um, so I look at Blood Red Sky on Netflix, and uh, I, I was kind of like, I, this one sounds really interesting. It sounds really fun. I've heard mixed things about it. So I start it, and I see the runtime is two hours and three minutes. I'm like, okay, whatever. Let's see this. And uh, so I don't know. A lot of people say go completely blind in this one. So if you don't want any spoilers about it, go ahead and skip ahead. But if you see like the post art and everything like that, you'll know exactly what's kind of going on here. But I feel like this movie would be more effective if you did, you know, not know anything about it. So I would say it's it's worth slight recommend so if you want to check that out and I think a lot of people will really enjoy it before I get into slight spoilers and then probably furthermore some more spoilers so okay so Blood Red Sky follows a story of a single mother who seems to be struggling from some sort of ailment she's taking her son on a, a plane ride and uh, throughout the, the middle of the plane ride we're kind of getting glimpses of her past and realizes what kind of disease or what she's suffering from we kind of get glimpses of that um, and about five or six terrorists decide to take the plane over um, and they're led by uh, Dominic Purcell, who is in Prison Break, and among other things, I think he's in, uh, is he in Blade 3? Does he play Dracula in Blade 3? I want to say he does. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he, he's kind of the lead terrorist, so we have kind of like a, you know, dry, Area 51 thing going on, or Air Force 1, uh, Delta Force style thing, but it's more in the vein of a Die Hard, where we have a group of international terrorists. Um, the standout terrorist is this, uh, he's, he's posed as like a, a steward on the plane, and he's just like this really kind of flamboyant, aggressive, kind of crazy guy, and I thought he was really fun. Um, but yeah, there's just a few of them here and there. They all have their own different character traits. And a lot of the people on the plane have their own character traits too and everything. I mean, like everybody, but they like set out throughout the entire movie. You get a little bit more here and there. You know, you have the asshole guy. You have a couple assholes, actually. Then you have like this foreign guy who befriends the kid in the very beginning. And the way the film structure set up, they kind of make you think that he might be involved with something because it opens up with a, a scene where the plane has landed. And obviously we're going to do a flashback from that and there's like some military guys and you know we got to keep this whatever in the plane yada 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 come to find out is uh, these terrorists are planning on something awful it's not good of course and uh they, this mother has a secret ailment and she's a vampire so you're like oh shit this is gonna be pretty cool we got a vampire versus terrorist on a plane and that kind of feels like the plot but then we go back to the military plot too and then before long the terrorists really don't seem to matter we have more of a you know uh, uh snakes on a plane style thing or you know a from Dust Till Dawn, Siege narratives, Night of the Living Dead with vampires, and all that kind of stuff. And the film just feels like it has so many different plot lines going on at the same time. It feels like it's just going on forever. Um, every once in a while, I'd be like, let me just click to see how long. And, and I would have like 45 minutes or 30 minutes. And like every time, I felt like the movie's going to end in 10. It just goes on for way too long. It feels like there's way too many things going on here, or endings too. It just didn't know when to end. And it just kept going on and on. Although a lot of the effects and a lot of the stuff is cool. And effective and it almost is epic at a point it just it drug on to no end and i i said uh pacing and runtime are the worst things that happen you know i mean for the, the streaming has ruined pacing and runtime if that makes any sense and i really feel that way but anyways i thought this was a good film that could have been great it was just a little bit of a letdown due to its pacing its runtime it just a lot of stuff needed to be trimmed out of here to be honest but as blood red sky had some cool stuff it just wasn't 100 percent a winner for me so but i i would say give it a give it a spin maybe 
check out the trailer, maybe watch the first 10 minutes, see if you're digging it. Okay, the next one I rented on Amazon Prime, and this is Bloody Hell. I had heard uh, mixed things about this one as well. It's another 2021 movie. So what we have here is this guy who seems to have not necessarily a split personality. It's not that, but he communicates with himself in a comedic way, almost like a, in a super ego, whatever, whichever ones you guys have, or whatever it's called, where you know you talk to your, you know, your your uh, devil on the shoulder type deal here. So he kind of has that. In the very beginning of this film, he's uh, trying to pick up the the desk clerk at the bank, and there's this kind of bank robbery and what he does is something pretty dramatic you don't necessarily see everything but um, he was trying to be a vigilante kind of hero style and something went wrong and he ended up getting imprisoned for eight years anyways he gets out of prison and he decides to take kind of a trip to Sweden everybody knows who he is they're pointing at him they're laughing at him they're whispering about him all sorts of crazy things some people think he's a hero some people think he's a monster of course and uh, during the entire movie he's talking to himself you know having these rage fits of what he kind of wants to do so so anyways, uh, long story short, he is abducted by a crazy cannibal family that's going to feed him to uh, another member of their family. And uh, one of the people of that family, a young girl, kind of shows interest in him. Maybe she's not like them. And that's kind of the plot. A lot of this film, he's tied up talking to himself with one leg. That's kind of where we're at here. Um, the last 25 minutes of this movie are really entertaining, really fun, um, good action stuff, violent, gory. Um, but it's it's trying to be a it's comedy, of course, it's a comedy horror film, and it kind of it kind of goes down to how much you like the main character. He's a good actor. He does a good performance. It's just I don't find him very funny. Uh, it's probably his writing, probably his jokes. It's very subjective, you know, humor, and it's just not very funny to me. I didn't really laugh once. But when we get to the action horror stuff. I thought that was really well done. Um, really cool, really entertaining. But besides that, the humor all didn't land for me. I didn't think it was very funny. Um, as far as you kind of get the main reveal of what happened to the bank as well, too, towards the end, and you kind of, nothing is, you know, you, it's kind of exactly what you would expect to happen with a character like this. But um, Bloody Hell, it's up to you. I think it's good, not great as well, probably in the same boat as uh, Blood Red Sky. Okay, the next one is Bloodthirsty from 2021, and this is on Shudder. I believe it was made in 2020, but it was just released this year. So this is a Canadian joint. This is a kind of a, I don't want to say coming of age. It's one of these stories where we have the singer who's working on her uh, sophomore album. She's having a lot of trouble, and she decides to go with like a new producer, and this producer is kind of sinister and starts to reveal some more about herself, her inner kind of demon, her inner monster, and all that kind of stuff. Um, think of when animals dream or raw or something like that, but kind of a little bit different um this movie moves at a snail's pace for me i thought the best parts were actually um the music that she was singing i thought was interesting and decent um and i just lost interest almost within 20 minutes of this one it just didn't do much for me it just uh it just needed a little bit more than uh, what it is i've seen this movie done uh, five or six times before in, in recent years and i think they're all a little bit stronger when animals dream i do raw i think so of course um but it's just it's just not a anything necessarily and the and the special effects they're not bad but they're very kind of minimum I will say minimum, maybe focus on more of a, a realistic aspect to it. But I do like the idea of kind of embracing yourself through music or whatever and, and that kind of, you know, discovering your, your creative side and also your bestial side and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, Bloodthirsty, not necessarily something I enjoyed. I thought it was a little too slow, maybe a little too predictable, maybe a little too old hat for me. But not a poorly made film, just something that I wouldn't really give a, a, hard, a wholehearted recommend to do. Yeah.
So that's on Shudder if you want to check it out. Okay, the next one here is Jacob's Wife, and this is by Travis Stevens, who did The Girl on the Third Floor, I think, a couple years back. This stars Larry Fezendet and Barbara Crampton. Very excited to see those two in here. Uh, enjoy both of them. I love Larry Fezendet as an actor. I think he's great. And Barbara Crampton has had a, a renaissance in like the last 10 years. She was great in the 80s, but she's doing a good job now, too. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's nice seeing that middle-aged characters are, are you know, kind of like almost seniors, like 60 years old, are the lead characters in this freaking movie i love that so um also the title is obvious reference to something like uh, jack's wife which is an ak title to um season of the witch by george romero so i like that that kind of idea that that's jack's wife that women don't have an identity after they're married and stuff like that so i think that's really kind of interesting kind of fun play on the name so barbara crampton is married to um jack uh jacob jacob jack Jacob and he's a preacher so he kind of like at times will talk over they do this really great scene where you know they're they're being questioned by a police officer about a missing girl who was killed by a vampire secret and um, uh, basically what happens is like he talks over and you're like oh you, you understand this relationship right away without even coming out and saying it so it's kind of set up right away um, one day Barbara Crampton is showing the uh, uh, old flame this kind of property to buy I think she's a realtor or something like that and the old flame is actually the actor from Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and and weird science uh the, the the friend i can't think of his actor name but he's pretty good in this too he's got a nice little good role in here and uh she shows him to this uh this factory and uh she's kind of has a moment of weakness but before they can even act on this she kind of is like i we shouldn't do this and then like there's a vampire attack and she's kind of bitten and she's starting to go through all these changes and it's like this uh this uh relationship thing with her and her husband and he wants to kind of slay the vampire. it's it's really funny it has some really great moments including a, a teeth whitening scene which I thought was very fun, very cute um, there's a good small town feel to it which I enjoyed, um, the sheriff has got a lot of great dialogue, I like his demeanor, I like his interactions with um, you know Larry Fezendat and all that stuff and everything like that um, the vampire kind of works as like a Stephen King style vampire where it starts to slowly kind of pick and corrupt the town and pick people up, also a female vampire that looks kind of creepy which was unique, you don't typically see that like a, a kind of decrepit looking female vampire i don't know if i've seen too many of those so that was nice anyways i thought this was a fun cute entertaining movie and i really enjoyed it so that's jacob's wife check it out uh, very fun oh i know it's gonna be an awkward pause but i gotta mention it's pretty fucking gory there's lots of good gore lots of over the top gore so check it out good stuff Okay, the next one from 2021 is Slacks, and I think this is on Shudder as well. And this is a bizarre film about, you know, consumerism and stuff and, and uh, buying that, you know, that horrible product where it was used by obviously, you know, third world labor and kids being in fields and just being worked and all sorts of terrible things happening to them. But, hey, it, they say it's friendly to buy and it's, it's you know, whatever. It's the hottest fashion, so you got to have it. So this follows uh, the young, uh, this young girl. It's like got to be one of her first jobs and she's very excited to work at this kind of like Amber Cobby and Fitch kind of style store in the mall where they're like debuting these new jeans and she's very excited about it. it's her first job she's got like the stars in her eyes you guys know your first job you're like they took advantage of you so bad right you go there and they're like oh yeah I'll do that I'll clean the bathrooms yada 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 but then before after you're like sixth job you're like I ain't cleaning shit uh, but yeah so anyways she's very wide eyed and happy to be there and she kind of learns right away that this place well you we learn as the audience through her eyes that this place sucks everybody's miserable the manager is a complete douchebag wants to get ahead doesn't care about anybody nobody cares about anybody everybody's cutthroat and rude and 
annoying and all that kind of stuff. So uh, what we learn is that there is a killer pair of jeans in here, similar to what there was that one that came out a couple years ago called Bad Hair about the killer, uh, the weave. And then we also had stuff like um, rubber with the killer uh, uh, tire. So we have a lot of inanimate objects or pieces that appendages go on your body or clothing that are going to kill you. So that's kind of the plot here. At, at first, the jeans start to pick people off. They're It's very gory. People's hands get ripped off. They crush them. Very fun in the beginning. A lot of people getting killed in gnarly ways. They use security footage cameras in an interesting kind of cute way where you see the jeans moving by themselves, which is very funny. But by the third act, I just was kind of bored with the whole thing. You kind of know where exactly where it's going, and it kind of just traps itself in a corner of kind of mediocrity where you know that's kind of deal here. I, I feel like these movies are a little bit more fun when you don't explain it or you lightly explain what the hell's going on. When you give the whole backstory, it's just like I figured something like that would happen, but the idea that you're diving so deep into it, I know it's a message, and I, but still, the message would still be there without the deep dark, without diving into the backstory too much, you know. Anyways, I just felt like about the third act, I was losing steam on it, and the kills weren't as fun, and it just didn't do very much for me after that. When it plays more like a silly slasher film, not that I do like the, the message, but the message is there without, you know, the third act or not, I think. So, anyways, Slacks uh, starts off great, ends up just good. Um, I would still check it out. It's a lot of fun to ha be had, and it's a pretty good gory stuff, too. Okay, the next one is from Hulu 2021 movie, and this is The Vigil. Uh, yeah, so this one kind of focuses on the Jewish faith. There's not too many horror movies that do that, so you got to give it props for that. At least, at the very least, you'll get a kind of a glimpse into some of the kind of uh, different ways that uh, religious has practiced death and everything like that. So um, basically, this main character here has gone through some real trauma. He, you, think, you think that he had something, you know, something very tragic happen to him. You kind of know he, he seems to be suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder PTSD uh, and uh, he is approached by a rabbi after kind of having like this uh, like it seems like a meeting to kind of like uh, relax and get back to normal and everything he's approached by a rabbi that says hey I need you to basically watch over this dead body and pray for it um, that's a, a typical thing that I guess uh, people of the Jewish faith will do when someone dies the first couple of nights uh, somebody will stay with the body and pray with it as to not let evil spirits attack it so he doesn't want to do it at first because he obviously had some problems and he just doesn't want to have anything to do with this life anymore but this rabbi convinces him for $400 cash because he's kind of short on money to do it. So he agrees, he goes to this house, it was an older man who passed away, he meets the, the wife of this older man in the house, she doesn't think he's up for it she seems to be suffering from dementia to a certain extent and throughout the night some strange things start to happen, you know shadows in the background and some genuinely really creepy things happen, one of which is a cell phone call which was scary as hell, um of course, you see kind of like the idea of uh, something with a backwards head. He watches some of the video footage that the husband had, and it appears that uh, there was something wrong, something following him through his life. So it gets really complicated. And of course, throughout this, we're going to see the trauma that happened to him, kind of similar to the trauma that happened in Blood Red Sky. We're having a lot of these kind of movies where there's an initial like thing, and you know something's wrong with this person. And as the film progresses, we see the tragedy that happened to them, the reveal. And that's, that's a very typical story kind of structure and it works usually and it works in the vigil so like i like the 
individual enough that I was genuinely, it, it is kind of your typical kind of scary ghost story, but it does do a couple things differently, but it does a couple things really well, which makes it a little bit better than a lot of those typical ghost stories for sure. Like I said, there's a genuinely a couple scares that are creepy. The lead actor's performance is solid. Um, he's likable. And uh, I like the idea and I like the setup. I think it's it's well worth your time and it's really creepy. Along with the Night House, I would say that these are kind of the, the best scary kind of house movies that I've seen so far this year. So yeah, check it out. Good stuff. Okay, this next one is super bizarre, and this is called The Scary of 61st, and I believe you can rent this on Apple right now. On uh, yeah, I think it just came out Friday. If you're interested, uh, it is a super bizarre film. Uh, yeah, so I was pretty sure this was a kind of a dark comedy, and it's really weird and bizarre. It's shot on film, which automatically gives it some props and some points for sure. So what happens is we have this young couple that are going to college, and they're going to move into this uh, this bungalow, this kind of apartment. they got a great deal on it. Um, and uh, it just, they're, not, they're kind of confused why they got the great deal. Both these girls seem to be kind of separating a little bit in terms of, you know, one's more needy, one's more possessive, one, and she's like a rich, comes from a rich family, one comes from more of a poor family, kind of more independent. So they have like a, a inner, you know, kind of a, a butting of heads there. Um, so one day, this kind of strange girl comes in and she says she's there with like the that meter bullshit, whatever she's coming in for to look at the house. But right away she gets in there and she says, this house was actually, you know, uh, uh, kind of a apartment building for Jeffrey Epstein where he used to keep young girls here and come and screw and all that kind of stuff. And right away you're like, oh, this is like such a re weird thing to be so topical and so right on the nose, right? And like, I'm, I'm like, oh, this has got to be like, it's it's played as like this dark comedy where the dialogue is very silly and very funny at times and a little bit over the top. But a as it progresses, these two girls start form a friendship and they start to fall down this rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and you know how people can be with that. And like we have these oddball characters like the rich girl's boyfriend being there and just kind of being a douchebag and all that kind of stuff and and before long the rich girl starts to get this weird kind of possession and there's these awkward scenes of sex with her and her boyfriend where she's being taken over by this young girl and it just gets really uncomfortable and weird but also it always keeps its darkly comedic kind of tone and I felt like that was kind of funny and uh, it gets a little ridiculous and, um, and it's like this kind of forced topical exploitation like horror dark comedy weirdness and but at the end of the day I kind kind of enjoyed it. I laughed quite a bit and I uh, thought that the humor worked really well in kind of a sick way. Uh, it's a super fucking weird movie. A lot of people hate it. I think that there's a director is like a, a, a influencer of some sort. I'm not familiar with her, uh, but as far as her film's concerned, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, this was definitely dividing the audience. People either love it or hate it. I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty entertaining. Uh, it's so weird. So goofy. Uh, strange stuff. Okay, this next one is fucking bonkers. I should put this. I'm gonna in the category. I'm gonna regret this um, because this is the some things that happen. So every once in a while, I'll be on Facebook and somebody will say I'm looking for people to review my movie, and somebody will tag me, and then uh, the person sometimes will will contact me. So um, I got a, a message from Bill Kate, uh, and he said, "Would you be interested in checking out my movies?" I said, "Well, yeah, yeah." Um, so I asked him a little bit about them. He said they're experimental, they're crazy, they're weird, they're extreme. I was like you know what I can get down on some of that sometimes I love that stuff sometimes I hate that stuff but I can always kind of try to approach it at an acceptable kind of way you know and try to judge it for what it is and so anyways this one showed up Kano Vision 
and it has three shorts on here smudge positive life and our false those are all really highly experimental and like altered footage to make very look bizarre and it's just kind of like a weird kind of trippy eye stuff that i couldn't gauge too much on but kano vision is about an hour and eight minute movie um and i don't even know where to go about this thing um it is weird and like you read the descriptions online and you're like what the i'm glad you're telling me that and it's about a suppressed kind of serial killer that's like hates his life and he's trying to change his sexual mentality through all sorts of things like that so um I wish this movie would have been played more straight instead of the experimental state because with the experimental we get a lot of repetitive actions which are kind of its intent like we'll have this character in the basement covered in blood with like pig guts and animal guts and, and having like sex with the per uh, um, another male but it's mostly just them like rolling around and like pig guts with like a cock ring on and I was just like I don't, I don't know if I can get down on this one. Like I am a fan of August Underground and August Underground Penance, but Mortem's too much for me. And this one might have been a little too much for me. And, and the repetitive nature of him, the character, kind of just going down and like you're seeing these like uh, pig guts and like pig head and rolling of blood on each other and rolling around. It's disturbing and it's gross and it's weird and um, it's it's effective in being gross. Like I don't know much else to say about that. But then we'll kind of go to these weird kind of like fetish stuff or people wrapped up in plastic, which I, I mean is probably some of the murder stuff or implements of murder, but also it can play as like a fetish. I know that some people do the plastic kind of asphyxiation stuff. I don't, I uh, I think so. I just recording the films for me. Uh, but I remember the movie Heartless had something to do with that in there as well, where the character said something along those lines and asphyxiation. You could see that. But uh, it gets really repetitive, but I did like the very ending. I thought the very ending was kind of effective because we go out from the nasty, dirty basement and we're actually on these like side trails railroad tracks and we're kind of seeing this violent act uh, happen i don't want to spoil too much but it kind of it does it uh, multiple times multiple times different pretty much almost similar takes but different takes of just you know somebody being murdered on this mattress on the uh, on, on the middle of nowhere on the in the like it looks like a industrial part of town and and like railroad tracks are there and i thought that was effective as, as a whole though i don't know if i can really give this any recommend or any gauge or what the hell you know i could say about it too much like i can't you don't i can't rate something like this you know what I mean? Like, um, it's definitely not something I would uh, kind of go back and watch, to be honest. Um, I, uh, although I do like some experimental movies, like what was that movie day of uh, dreaming purple or not? No, that it was like the day of the purple sun. Um, and there was like in two parts, it was a very long film. It was very strange, very bizarre. And I would put that in line with something like this. Although I feel like that one was even more less inept than this, this, you get the glimpse of it, the, the, the gist of it but it keeps being repetitive and doing the same thing over and over i can probably post a link where you can purchase this one if you're into extreme kind of gross films like this and insane stuff um kind of uh experimental films then i would maybe give it a slight recommend but i can't personally say it was i was a fan of it or anything like that that's kano vision okay now we're going to hop into those 1994 movies. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. As last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Say the proof. Reality! What do you know about reality? It's not a solid story. This is not reality. Not reality. Not reality. This is reality. The delusion of a disordered mind. A phantom. 
a spirit, a ghost. Look, he hasn't got any villains, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now! Fuck off! Okay, the first one up is Possessed by the Night from 1994, of course, and this is directed by Fred Olin Ray. That is right. So uh, the first thing I want to say before I forget, there is a scene of um, Chad McQueen, that's right, son of Steve McQueen, beating up Jim Wynorski, uh, uh, Cole S. McKay, and uh, Orville from the Slaughterhouse, uh, what is those movies, uh, Sorority House Massacre 2? Yeah, beating them up because he is a a debt collector and he goes in a mechanic shop. That is the most ridiculous scene. It's just like very funny to see Wynorski, Cole S. McKay, and Orville uh, Orville from the fucking uh, Sorority House Massacre movies get beat up. Anyways, this is a super bizarre movie. Um, yeah, I don't know where to go about this. Who is the heartthrob, like the 90s kind of like sex like pot in this one? Is it like Shannon Tweed or somebody like that? I can't remember her name, uh, but she's in a bunch of these 90s movies. Also, besides having uh, Chad McQueen in here, we also have um, Ted Pryor from the David Pryor movies, of course. Um, Henry Silva, uh, you gotta love. And geez, um... Uh, Silvio. Uh, no, 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 not Silvio. Sorry. Uh, who's the guy from, um, Goodfellas? Uh, Carma- Carbine, the guy with the low hairline who's always like, hey, I wasn't making, he's in here as well. So we got some familiar faces. Anyways, Chad McQueen is a debt collector and he goes to collect something from this, uh, this strange Chinese man. And instead of taking like, uh, the money, he gives him this fetus in a jar. The fetus in the jar has some sort of weird control over him. The same thing happens with, uh, Ted Pryor, who is a writer, and he has writer's block, so he ends up finding this weird other fetus in a jar. And what happens is this fetus starts to kind of manipulate him and his wife, and this uh, secretary has moved in to help him speed up his writing because um, his his uh, boss or whatever is in, in debt, and he owes Henry Silva money, so that's why Chad McQueen's involved, because he's going to collect. And um, oh, I'll just call him Carbine, I think is his name from Goodfellas. He basically is sleazy and owes the money. So it's complicated now. Nonsense. Ted Pryor ends up, of course, screwing the secretary in a hot, sexy scene. He also has sex scenes with his wife because this is a 90s, you know, sexy thriller. But instead, what would make it better? Fred Olin Ray's thinking, let's add a, a, telepa- a, a, a fucking baby in a jar with telepathy. And I'm like, that would make it better. And I don't know why there's a bunch of movies with a baby in a jar with some sort of telekinetic or telepathic powers. Think the Miami Connection had it. Um, there's a couple of the other ones, like Evil Dead Trap. That baby has, like, weird powers. 
it's just like babies with weird powers is its own weird subgenre, and I just don't know why it's a thing. The Unborn Two also came out this year. Very funny that we have all these weird baby or pregnancy horrors. Aswang, I just don't know. But anyways, Possessed by the Night. Um, yeah, it's a '90s sex thriller deal, but uh, it does have a ridiculous shootout at the end with a bunch of dead bodies. Ted Pryor chewing the scenery. Henry Silva's really funny, and it gotta like him. Chad McQueen is doing his best Michael Madsen impersonation I've ever seen. Uh, he, he feels like Michael Madsen. Anyways, um, you know, Fred Olin Ray does inject some fun to this one, honestly. And uh, it was made the same year he helped produce uh, the Biohazard, the Alien Force. And I, I, uh, so it has some, some, some of that stuff, too. It definitely more big has a bigger budget than that one i did enjoy it to a certain extent it's fun goofy 96 thriller with a telepathic baby in a jar or fetus whatever the fuck it is don't ask me Okay, the next one from 1994 you can actually watch on the egg for release of Scary Tales, I believe. Um, and this is Darkest uh, t- Darkest Soul from 1994. Uh, this is an SOV. This is dirt fucking cheap. And um, so Jeremy sees part of this while I'm watching it. And he's like, and right away I noticed that he's like, what's up with like the Chris Farley and Tom Savini thing going on here? And I started laughing hysterically. Right away, like it's two kind of guys that are just kind of like losers. They can't keep a job. Um, and the Tom Savini style guy is basically like kind of leading him. He's just kind of an asshole. And the Chris Farley guy is kind of a little bit more soft hearted um, and easy, kind of like it's, it's kind of just dim witted deal as well. So as he's kind of two loser guys that can never keep a job and half the movie is them just getting fired from a, a couple different jobs, which I thought were very funny and entertaining. I'm going to tell you this right now. I could watch a whole movie of people just quitting jobs in hilarious circumstances, you know, uh, but <laughs> anyways, just entertaining. And I, I for some reason, I'm going to say this now. This is like, it's got regional quality and it's got an endearing quality. And I did end up liking the Chris Farley character. Probably because he reminds me of Chris Farley. Probably. And I love Chris Farley. So it's like, yeah, like I like the Chris Farley guy, right? I probably spit a little bit there. I like the Chris Farley guy. I was spitting all over my room. Um, anyways, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he, they get a job as gravediggers and the Savini one actually believes it's best to start stealing some of the products of the jewels from the bodies they start making money and the movie's over before it really gets started it's not really a horror film it just ends on a super dark note super dark note with suicide and a murder and an accidental murder and a hallucination and it's just kind of a, a weird strange dark little slice of regional nonsense sov but at the end of the day i kind of enjoyed it uh i have a soft spot for these kind of movies so that's darkest soul uh yeah uh, not too much to say about it. It's very short as well. Sorry for the inconvenience, ma'am. This young man will take your order. I want a pound of ground beef, and I want it lean. Is there a problem, ma'am? 
Yes, I asked for lean ground beef, and this is what he brought back. You call this lean ground beef, mister? Ma'am, I'm sorry for any inconvenience. I'll get you some lean ground beef. Okay, the next one from 1994 is Twisted Tales, and of course an anthology with a name like that. So this is basically three stories. The first one is about a compulsive liar. The second one is about a brother killing a, you know, his own brother. And the third story is about a guy who has a few dark secrets. So the first story, um, yeah, the compulsive liar story is this guy goes out on a date. He's always bullshitting. He's always exaggerating. He gets jumped by one guy. He tells everyone, I got jumped by two guys and a, ba a guy with a baseball bat. Actually happens the next night. And he keeps progressing and progressing and progressing so you can see where this story is kind of going to go that's the problem with anthologies is uh, you tell the plot and then like you go to talk about it and there's not really anything except that the, the plot is the t you know the plot is the twist and all in the same so it's kind of spoiling um, the second story um, has some interesting aspects about it it takes place with a, a murder in the beginning and like the cops and like the people in the co uh, apartment complex are kind of comedic. And the one guy's like, I thought they were homos. I thought they were homos. It's like, yep, it is definitely the 90s. He's like, they were brothers. He's like, I don't know. He's like, clearly not an actor. He's like, I thought they were homos. Like, maybe that guy said it once and the director just thought it was so funny or so. Uh, like, I, he just put it in like five times. Anyways, like, the brother is haunted, uh, kind of by what he's done. And you could tell him and his brother didn't have a good relationship. But he ends up running away and finding, like, this strange kind of, like, hobo. And they start a kind of a weird uh, relationship. While at the same time, a strange psychic girl is trying to track him down with a cop. And there's a twist at the very end. This one was decent, effective, I guess, for that. And the final one is about a guy guy who seems to be suffering from what you think is one thing but it's actually another thing but then it's actually both things and there's a twist at the very end the special makeups aren't great on this one but you could also read the title and you can get it basically the description spoils everything but of course you know a neighborhood girl's interested in him but he can't do the relationship because he's also he's a werewolf it's also a vampire. Oh, no. So, yeah. I mean, it's a cheap, low-budget uh, uh, anthology. It's not ne necessarily great. Um, none of them really stand out. None of them knock your socks off. I guess the werewolf one is probably the best of the bunch, or maybe the shooting. Um, none of them are horrible. Like, I wasn't mad at any of them or bored throughout any of them. It's just that none of them really pack that, uh, you know, anthology punch that you really need. None of them are too offensive, either. That's just Twisted Tales. Not, not great, so... Anybody tell me what happened here? Well, I heard some shooting. Just one shot. I didn't call you guys, though. I, I did. I heard the shot, and I called. Well, who lives here? You know, a couple of homos, I think. Yeah, a couple of guys. 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Probably home. I was. They're, they're always telling each other. No, no, they were not. They were brothers. I didn't know. I thought they were homos. Okay, well, go back to your apartment, please. Okay, the next one is, I believe, a Hong Kong flick. Not too much on this one. This is Devil of Love. And I believe it was shot in Taiwan, and it's a Hong Kong flick. This is a super fucking weird movie. So this starts off in the very beginning with this some sort of, like, vampire creature. Um, all these people are in, like, the jungle, and a lot of them are, like, making out and, like, swimming and everything. And uh, then all of a sudden this, like, like monster guy he runs out, and he kills all the men. And quick, like, record speed. Like, eight people are dead in, like, three minutes. He's, like, drowning them in there, and he's killing them really fast. And then he kind of, like takes the women back to his like lair and he rapes them. Um, but it's not like film, like a rape scene. It's filmed like a love scene where they're into it. It's really weird and bizarre. And then we kind of go to uh, like fast forward to a different place or, or go to a different geographical location for some, whatever reason. And we're kind of being read this will where a brother and sister are finally shut up for this will. And there's a stepmother involved and the father had died. So basically all the kids are getting the money and, um, the stepmother's not getting anything but the house. She obviously doesn't like this. Turns out, that she is dating the vampire guy who is screwing those women in the very beginning and every person he screws or bites turns into a vampire so he has like a legion of vampire women it's really weird so they obviously want to pick off you know the kids so they can collect the money <laughs> i'm not making this shit up and i know you guys are never going to be able to find this fucking movie and if i i don't know how to explain or talk about this movie without explaining how bat shit crazy the plot is turns out the hunt is killed this is only like 30 minutes into the movie he goes to hell he meets his father who sleeping around with women or trying to in hell uh frank's uncle frank style or something like that so anyways he's sent back up to heaven to try to warn his sister uh about the vampire and her his stepmom so that doesn't happen at the very end of the movie it gets all crazy it gets like the holy what was that 1991 horror film the evil dead versus the holy evil dead or something like that gets all whacked out like that where they have help coming in to fight the vamp the the vampire's original boss doesn't like the vampire now so he's sending in help to help the dead son to fight the vampire and stop him. I don't. This is batshit. This is the kind of batshit kung fu nonsense at the very end. It's super weird. If you tell me what the hell's going on, I explained the best I could, and that's all I could tell you about the movie because the picture quality's not great. The subtitles aren't great. I just seen a lot of weird vampire action and fighting and nudity and sex. There is a vampire orgy where he screws a bunch of the vampire women he's already bitten. So it's entertaining. It doesn't make a lot. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but I could follow the plot to a certain extent without with with trouble. With trouble, I'll say. That is Devil of Love. <laughs> okay, the next one is another Hong Kong flick, and this is Hello, Who Is It? And, uh, yeah, this is a rape-revenge movie from Beyond the Grave. Like, Avenged? That one was Beyond the Grave. Um, yeah, so, Hello, Who Is It? You would never guess this is a, as a Hong Kong rape-revenge movie, but hell, I'm pretty sure every Hong Kong movie I've seen has rape and revenge in it, so there we go. Anyways, what happens is we have this uh, prostitute with a heart of gold. She's taking care of her super sick mother and her dying son. She's trying to save money, similar to Romance of the Vampire, where the girl, the prostitute, was trying to save money money for her eye surgery so this girl this prostitute is trying to save money to basically save her son in an operation um there's also a cop there's kind of two storylines here who's a cop who's trying to date another cop at work and it's just not working out and everything like that he's also this prostitute girl's neighbor 
So that's how they kind of tie it together. So one night, um, the creepy guy um, from Daughter of Darkness 1 and 2 and uh, Underground Banker and Brother of Darkness and every other Hong Kong movie I've seen where they need a rapist comes in. Yeah, that's right. The guy in all those movies, the baddie in all those movies pops up in this one, as you guessed it, the leader of a group of gang rapers. So basically he picks up the prostitute for a night. Um, they have uh, sex and he goes back and tells all his buddies, him and his buddies, basically his coworkers are working on the phone lines and everything like that. So he tells them this was the best ever. She had the biggest boot, whatever, you know, scumbags do to each. So they're all like, well, let's get her. We got to have her. So all four of these guys approach her on her way home from, you know, visiting her kid in the hospital. And what happens is she doesn't want to do it, so they kidnap her. And while they're gang raping her, the police officer shows up because he get he he knows these guys are just kind of no good. He doesn't really like them, and they decide to kind of throw it under some tar, put it some like uh, phone cable in her mouth, and they sit on her to keep her quiet. Um, what happens is they suffocate her. She dies. She gets electrocuted. Not hundred percent sure what happened. And these four guys are like, we got to get rid of her, so they throw her underneath the the work site and they cement her in. But uh, what happens is she develops some strange electrical powers where she's like this ghost that can travel through the phone and make these crazy phone calls. So she starts to haunt them, and of course she's picking them all off in these weird kind of phone-related, phone-wired deaths. I'm not making this shit up, but it's pretty fun. It's pretty entertaining. And meanwhile, the cop is kind of like stopping in to take care of the crippled grandma. And is very confused by where the daughter is, and he's always bad-mouthing her. And he starts to find out what happened and uncover the case. And he's going to have to possibly help this this ghost prostitute to avenge her death. Um, of course, the the baddie here, uh, he's he's pretty good. And I'm going to be honest, this guy is either. The, the biggest sleaze bag I've ever seen in a movie is evil, but sometimes he'll have like a comedy side to him. And this one, he has a little bit of a comedy side. Like he's always kind of like, I don't know what happened. Like he's always trying to shut up one of the guys who's always like about to spill the beans and everything like that. Um, there's of course a very touching moment between the ghost prostitute and the grandmother. And I like seeing that. And it's all these, these movies, like they have this dark, nasty touch to them, like underground banker. And then like, they'll have this really sad moment of like a burnt kid, like crying. And you're just like, I'm like appalled by your like exploitation methods and then I'm laughing at the stupid silly slapstick shit and then I'm like bawling my eyes out that you're like they're such a weird mixture and like I become really infatuated with the crazy Hong Kong movies and hello who is it I thought was really cool I mean it's not overly gory but some of the death scenes are pretty cool like somebody's head gets decapitated with wire somebody gets tied up in the wire so they do some pretty cool elaborate kill scenes in the movie for it and I love my rape revenge movies even if it is a ghost prostitute kills people through phone wires good stuff hello who is it okay the last one from 1994 is alone in the night and this is by the same director as um angel guts red flash which i really liked from 1994 i thought that was great and this is more of a crime revenge film i like the crime revenge films i thought it might have an exploitation style to it so i as i checked it out it doesn't it's more of like a dark kind of drama crime film rape revenge style film so what we have here is a great opening scene um we have this uh this couple sitting here with um uh she's it's an undercover cop and his girlfriend and uh husband husband and wife actually and she's sitting here and he doesn't really know what she's doing and she's playing with his gun his pistol and she's drawing like lipstick a heart of lipstick or something on the pistol and it's like showing that she's infatuated or has some sort of foreshadowing with this gun which i really like he sees that gets very mad at her takes it away and she's like i'm worried about yada yada of course she should be undercover cop he is killed um she's very upset with the situation um that night she's raped by a group of thugs looking for drugs that are thought to be her husband's head he's maybe 
doing a double cross on the cops, playing both sides. Um, they don't find the drugs. She's obviously disgusted and uh, wants to commit suicide. Um, she's saved. Um, and then she tries to do it again, and she's saved by one of the other gang members that didn't commit the rape that was involved you know, with that gang. Um, and she's kind of confused by the whole situation. And it turns out that, uh, you know, she, he possibly might feel sorry for you. You're not hundred percent sure, but she decides to infiltrate the gang and become, um, what they think is like some sort of prostitute and she gets into the gang and she wants to plan a revenge and everything like that. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's not as like elaborate, like revenge or anything like that. It's not like out and out, like shootouts or her killing a bunch of people. Um, there's like a lot of like drama and it jumps around a lot of times. Like, you know, sometimes she'll be like, you know, she'll go through a drug withdrawal and there's like long scenes of that but then we'll cut like 10 years a couple years later down the line not 10 but a couple years down the line so it jumps around and the final reveal i thought was really effective really good um visually i, th I like how it looks a lot of you know rain and dripping and kind of dark i don't want to say neon because it's not very bright but you got to get that kind of like uh, gritty kind of rain like you know street light kind of feel to it anyways I, I thought it was pretty good it's called alone in the night uh i would check this one out director's done a handful of cool films or i, I feel like i've seen a couple more and i uh angel guts red flash i would really recommend checking that one out i really like that one from 94 so yeah Okay, so uh, the Patreon pick was from Dan the Cameraman, and he said, pick a movie where a comedic actor plays a serious role. So, uh, although, you know, I'm not as familiar with Jerry Lewis as I should be, I know of his comedic kind of roots and stuff like that, but, and I know he's mostly known as like a comedian and everything. So this is the king of comedy with Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, Sandra Bernhardt. It's directed by Martin Scorsese, one of the all-time greats. And it's a movie that I had never seen. So I was like, you know what? Every time I get a Patreon pick that's broad like that and I can pick, I'm always going to pick something that I really want to watch. So this is um, kind of a one-of-a-kind film. I've heard a lot about it for years. I knew that I would love it, but uh, finally getting to sit down and watch it was kind of a treat. De Niro is a really strange actor. He he tends to play so many characters that are just not exactly likable or good people, but they're always so interesting. Um, there's a lot of scenes in this movie of Robert De Niro arguing with people, and I realize that's one of my favorite things ever. Um, when he argues in Raging Bull with his, with his wife all the time, especially at the end when he's not supposed to be back in the house and he does something i love robert de niro arguing with people whether it's jackie brown raging bull um you know casino anything he's in i love de niro arguing with people he's got such a sharp tongue mean streets great well, arguing he's just such a dickhead and i love him in these movies just his acting so anyways um he plays rupert pumpkin Pumpkin with a P-U-P-K-I-N. Don't want to say that wrong. Pumpkin. So, because uh, everybody throughout the movie is always mispronouncing. It's kind of a gag throughout the movie. So, he is absolutely obsessed with Jerry Lewis. His name's Jerry Lankford in this movie, though. So, uh, he's obsessed with him. He's his idol. He wants to use him to kind of break through the scene and everything like that and become kind of a comedian, a, a do the show, do everything that he does. So, this movie kind of follows around a couple people that are these kind of, uh, you know, obsessed with celebrity kind of people. One being Sandra Bernhardt, which is such an amazing performance and her performance is scary and just manic and absolutely hilariously awesome and awkward this is one of the most awkward movies i've ever seen performance wise by de niro and bernhardt and hilarious and touching and scary and endearing and just there's a sense of truth to it where you kind of get behind it where you know people that you like admired from a distance celebrity wise and you're just like you don't like it's such an awkward situation in there and like anyways uh, it's always so hard for me to watch delusional characters like uh uh robert de niro in this film 
but it, it starts off as him getting a, a, a you know a conversation with Jerry Lewis in the car and everything um and, and Jerry Lewis is so good in this one too he's just and you see a lot uh and, and after that it kind of just goes all over the place where he becomes obsessed and he keeps bothering him showing up to places and, and it escalates of course and it can only go one where one place but i actually love where this thing ends and um it doesn't do what you would like a typical movie would do. You know, when you like see De Niro get on stage, you, he doesn't bomb, you know, not necessarily like he's not great, but it's not the worst thing you've ever seen either. But, um, it's just, it's, a, you know how like taxi driver says a lot of that stuff, like those lost individuals that, um, sometimes like it, in a way they're like looked at as heroes or looked at as different. It's just kind of strange how sometimes the mental illness can be looked at and explored. And, and Scorsese does it in a really interesting way that a lot of people don't do. And I think he has a lot to say about it. And there's a lot of truth in the comedy and truth in it that, um, you know, you laugh because it's funny. You laugh because it's true. That's a De Niro quote from uh, the untouchables when he play in uh, Al Capone, not a Martin Scorsese, Brian DePone, but still you get the point. You laugh because it's funny. You laugh because it's true. And there's a lot of truth in this. And also there's a lot of comedy. It's the king of comedy, right? Anyways, uh, uh, yeah, and, like, the stuff with Jerry Lewis, like, walking down the street is perfect, like, kind of, like, you get the uh, whole career of a famous person in, like, 35 seconds. Like, at first, people are like, hey, Jerry, and he's like, how's it going, man? He's really polite, and he's having fun, and everybody's nice to him, and then, like, right away, like, you start to see, like, a lot of people are being rude to him if you won't spend a lot of time with him, even if he's busy, and then by the end of it, he's just running for his life to get in there before some crazy grabs him. So it's like, oh, you can kind of see that whole, like, life of a uh, uh, of a famous person within a span of 30 seconds right there the good the bad you know and, and as you can see their whole career from starting out to the very it's just kind of kind of interesting but uh yeah it's just a, a wonderful movie and uh the acting's great um you're rooting for de niro but you're not at the same time um i like how jerry lewis handles things with people like he really handles it much better than a lot of people would maybe he should have been a little bit harsher uh but anyways i just thought it was great and that moment where sarah bernhardt is talking to jerry lewis in the table with the candles lit and he's like i just want to do something spontaneous like that's got to be one of the best performances ever like so mad so like i didn't know what she was going to do next and that's 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 just a great little bit there anyways i was very impressed with it i was very uh, happy with it of course what what else could you say and it's a different performance from De Niro man it shows he's truly one of the masters of acting like so hard to like like he goes all out like some they're so different like take his performance as uh, Max Cady and as Rupert Pumpkin and then just tell like that's the same guy it's hard. I mean, those are like layered, weird performances. Like, and sometimes there's a little bits in there, like Kate Fear, where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that part of the performance, but like, if I, if I buy it, but it's such a weird, like, swing. Like, it's always swinging, always swinging, always diving into these performances. And he truly rarely disappoints. Um, anyways, I just thought it was a great movie. Um, I, I, and seeing a, um, you know, it probably was pretty easy for Lewis to act like himself to get some of that frustration out of it. You know what I mean? I mean, of constantly, you know, being a funny guy in front of the camera and then just having to go about and be that funny guy all the fucking time for people. You know what I mean? Like, they always want you to perform, you know, they always want you to be 100% beyond for everybody. And half the time you're just like, I just want to go home. I just want to go to work. I just want to go to sleep. I just left the fuck alone like you could feel that in there too um and he's always tries his best to be polite but sometimes you just like fuck off anyways a uh, great movie really loved it would definitely maybe want to watch that with jeremy see what he thinks about it you know he's not the biggest de niro fan uh, i don't know why but yeah so anyways that's the king of comedy loved it 
Hey guys, we're here for Blind Spot because neither of us have seen this. I love how I just changed the rules when we want to watch something. Wait, what's the rules? Like, you ain't seen is I usually pick something for you that you ain't seen. Mm -hmm. When you pick something for yourself, it's Blind Spot because you ain't seen it. We both haven't seen it. If I'm yeah. picking something, yeah, so it's Blind Spot. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Mad Love from 1935. Same director as The Mummy. Actually, mm -hmm. stars Peter Laurie and I believe isn't the the other male in this is actually uh, Baron Frankenstein, or Victor von Frankenstein, right? Clive, something. I believe it is that actor, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, this is kind of a classic story here. Was this based on a book? I can't remember. I thought it was based off a book. I think it had some book stuff. I, in the I believe so because uh, this has been ripped off a million freaking times. It's the classic. Uh, even it even happens in the Frankenstein uh, films, like the brain is damaged. So essentially what happens is somebody needs a body part. They're given a part of a body part of someone who has died who is bad, and mm -hmm. it takes over their body or that part of their body part. With a severed arm, body parts, um, the Simpsons parodied it with Snake mm -hmm. with a hair transplant. Uh, so yeah, a bad piece of you takes over, a bad piece on you takes over you. And so essentially what we have here is Peter Lorre is um, a pretty much a world-renowned surgeon. He's like mm -hmm. the best. Uh, he is obsessed with this a woman who performs at a theater. He goes and sees her every single night. Uh, without miss one day she tells him that this is my last performance me and my husband who's a world famous pianist um this lady is so lucky everybody loves her right. so they're traveling to france or europe or somewhere and they're gonna kind of yes. get married for a um, honeymoon and everything she's not coming back this this pretty much devastates him and uh any anyways what happens is on the train um there is a tragic accident where the pianist loses his hands and uh, among the cadavers is a murderer who was a knife thrower at a circus. And uh, Peter Laurie is approached by the distraught bride-to-be to help her husband. And Peter Laurie does like a true mad scientist should. Not being able to fix the hands, he puts on the murderer's hands. Now the pianist cannot play, but only kill. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's and it's not like it's a... Like a fourth, I can't think of the word. Premeditated. It's not like premeditated on Laurie's part. He doesn't like intentionally seek out. I don't know. I don't know. Well, like, he's never. His <coughs> motives are never clear. I mean, his motive um, is to get the girl. Ultimately, is to get the girl. But um, he's fine with the wax statue that he has in place. Oh, I forgot um, about that aspect. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's this that, whole wax statue thing that used to sit in the theater uh, before you could go see the play, and it, he actually bought the wax statue when they were closing down. Right, but it, it isn't until the like, like the hands start like acting violent on their own after months of healing. It's Peter Lorre like, oh, I can use this to my advantage, and you know, then starts framing um, the. Uh, or the pianist and the thing that he called his own father and he'll get arrested and yeah. then the one will come to him. Um, there's a scene uh, where you actually meet the killer and he has this great interaction with somebody on the train. Uh, mm -hmm. This person gets autographs and it goes kind of shows you a glimpse of how it used to be to kind of like uh, be obsessed with like just getting any celebrity because the guy's at the page to sign something. So uh, there's this great scene where somebody approaches him and his demeanor and you see him throw the knife. It's dead on. It's a pen. Yeah. Yeah. He whips the pen into mm -hmm. the wall. Um, 
the scene at when he's going to the gallows might be my favorite performance in the film. Just that little bit of, because uh, he's basically in uh, Paris, right? Because mm-hmm. he killed his wife and, you know, she was in a fit of rage. And he's going to the gallows and he's like, tell me something, friend. Because he sees an American reporter and they go back and forth. He's like, is it true that they, and it's like his whole demeanor is so great. Like mm-hmm. he's like jovial, but obviously like possibly dangerous. Like kind of like classic killer, right? Like a Billy the Kid who could talk to the press and kind of kind of charm his way to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Yeah, on the journalist that interviews with Killer, he ends up becoming like a, a part like a story. third party, yeah. you know, character. Um, there's a few other characters in here. Um, that Peter Lorre's housemaid um, is just this like drunk, lush old woman. Um, and you know, she has like a handful of scenes. Like, like she's usually has this like giant bird on her back. <laughs> um, bird. There's one point where she gets so uh, like intoxicated. When the wife comes to, like, you know, visit Peter Lorre in the middle of the night, she sees her and thinks it's the wax statue. Starts chasing after it. Yeah, it's like, oh, I gotta get you back in the room. Lorre's <laughs> uh, got some real great scenes in here. Um, one point, he dresses up to a ridiculous level where he actually is acting like the knife thrower mm-hmm. has come back to life and the doctor put his head back on to try to manipulate the entire situation. And you're mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I think the guy came back to life. I was like, are you crazy? That's <laughs> such a Peter Laurie. Obviously Peter Laurie. But that's like got a fun uh, little gimmick in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the movie starts off like a five star, but it loses a lot of steam and it ends up good, but just not as great as it really could have been. Like, right. I feel like it's missing a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, it... It, yeah, there was so much like build up in the beginning parts, um, and then like by the time they get to the ending, it's like, yeah, we we, we kind of like rode this train. We'll just try to, end it. and it ends like very abruptly. I feel. I feel like a lot of the '30s films mm-hmm. they tended to end very abruptly, and being a director of the Mummy, it kind of makes sense. Even though I feel like the Mummy felt like it was never gonna end, I, as far as the, uh, the Universal horror films are concerned. Right. I never seen the Mummy. Um, I always thought that Peter Lorre was in it, but I, I, I think I might be confusing. He's, he's not in the Mummy. The director of. The Mummy and, you know, of Mad Love. Uh, did you want to read? Is it in this one? Yep. Oh, I bookmarked it for you. I completely forgot about it. Uh, it says The Mad Butcher. Just find it. You can read. (laughs) Mad Love. Three out of four stars, 67 minutes long. Yeah, this is a short movie. Um, impressive version of Maurice Renard's The Hands of Orlock, this film's British tile. Laurie is great in his first American role as bald, glow-eyed Dr. Gogol, a famous surgeon who replaces the mingled hands of pianist Orlock, Clive, with those of executed knife murderer Brophy in a bizarre plan to win the love of Orlock's actress's wife, Drake. Slick MGM production values, creative direction, and photography, and the splendid cast make this a top-notch Mad Doctor flick, remade as The Hands of Orlock and Hands of a Stranger. Yeah, I should mention that I believe there is a silent Hands of Orlock. That's what I was thinking. <coughs> Orlock, like Reverend and I saw that in the credits. Remember, I was like, oh, Orlock, yeah. Orlock's been done a bunch of times. So we have John Stanley's Creature Features, Mad Love, 1935, 4 out of 5. Peter Lorre brilliantly conveys madness and compassion as Dr. Gango, uh, 
Go Gold in this excellent adaptation of Maurice Renard's Hands of Orlock. Same thing I said about yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, screen scripted by John L. Ballerston and P.J. Wolfston. Those names sound like horror movie characters themselves. It's the classy story of how the hands of a murderer, recently guillotined, are grafted onto the wrist of a music uh, musical pianist whose own hands have been crushed in an accident. Laurie, the surgeon who has a fatal obsession for the lovely star of a Grand Ganol show in Paris, descends ever deeper into madness, yet retains a sense of the pathetic. Uh, Carl Freud's direction is ahead of its time for atmosphere and camera angles. Ted Healy is intrusive as the comic relief reporter, but he does not interfere with the scenes between Laurie and the actress Frances Drake, or the pianist Colin Clive. Uh, Greg Tolan photographed it beautifully, and Dimitri uh, Tumlikin wrote the score. Definitely a must-see. I think one of my favorite scenes is when Peter Laurie gets invited to the actress's going-away party, and it's that scene of complete awkwardness, where he's standing in the back like this, all bug-eyed, and he's like, did you want a kiss? Uh, Because they're all getting a kiss on the cheek, and he just goes for it, and he gives her like the whole thing, tongue and all, I think. Well, and he had just pronounced his love to her, like, the scene prior, and it's like... No one else knows how creepy he is. Right, yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some neat stuff in this movie. Um, the background architecture, you know, has like just like a really like warped sense of perspective. Um, similar to I think to like either the Caligari or uh, even some of like the '90s Burton stuff. Um, just like like the sharp angles, like windows that look like coffins and trapezoids. So it, you know, it's a neat, fun film to watch. Peter Lorre looks neat in it. Um, he has a few different costumes that he gets to wear. Um, I, yeah, I, I'd say, yeah, it does, I think, kind of, like, fizzle out in the end, but I, I'd give it, like, a three and a half. I'm exactly the same way, yeah. three and a half, seven, seven and a half, somewhere around there. Right, Every, all the characters are, are fantastic, um, it, it's just, I, you know, I think knowing the story and, you know, seeing it done so many times, it's like, okay, we get it, and you pretty much call the story the moment it all happens. Well, that's not the film's fault that everybody's seen the thousand adaptations of it. No, it's not the film's fault, but when all those thousands of adaptations, I think, tend to do it a bit more clever, it's kind of like... I don't know if they do it any more clever, to be honest. I think all those are pretty obvious movies. They are, yeah. Um, If you watch uh, Body Parts, I mean, they have a lot of the same stuff in that, with the the head tied on and everything, so... Um, I mean, I'm just saying, like, the neck brace. They use that in uh, mm-hmm. Mad Love, too. Although it is fake that it actually doesn't have his head attached yes, to the neck brace. Right. And, and body parts, he actually does. <laughs> um, so, uh, geez, what are we going to watch next week? I didn't really think of this. I'm you this week. I'm unprepared. Oh, you're unprepared. I could give you a couple choices. Okay. Oh, um, I get to pick. Um, I'm going to give you three. Okay. Can we, King of New York. No. Crash. No. Red to Kill. God, I don't know what any of that stuff is. Crash is a David Cronenberg movie with uh-huh. James Spader in it. Who you watched in Wolf. Wolf. King of New York is a Christopher Walken, a Bell Ferreira joint. That's right, I said joint. Okay. Lawrence Fishburne's also in it. Wesley Snipes. I like Lawrence Fishburne. Let's go with, what is that, King of New York? Yeah. And okay. Red to Kill is the Cat 3 Hong Kong movie. No, no Hong Kong. Red to Kill, or uh, no, um. You Red New to York. Kill it is. The New York King one. King of New York, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's got a great cast. It's, it's, I think you'll like that one, to be honest. I might. I might. If he doesn't, give, this, boo this man. <laughs> We're done.
Bye. Okay, let's get into these question answers, all that good stuff. Um, a lot of these are repeats, so if it's the same, I'm not going to repeat it because I asked basically two actors or actresses that you confuse with each other. So, Tempo Topas, thanks for the hard work you put into all your videos. I remember that back in May, you picked up a copy of Destruction Babies. Did you get a chance to watch it yet? No, I did not, unfortunately. If I do, I definitely will review it. Uh, Colin Morris, love Black Christmas. Find it very fascinating how close was it to Halloween, how close Halloween was to it. I've heard that Bob Clark had told Carpenter that if he ever did a sequel, he'd make have Billy come back at Halloween. Then years later, Halloween was made. Now I know Carpenter was gunfire in Halloween, but still, he could have taken ideas from Black Christmas, even though Carpenter denied it. Um, I, I remember hearing that, and Carpenter always said that he never had that conversation with uh, Bob Clark. Who knows? I mean... Ken Coakley, in the topic of confusing actors, the one you mentioned about Elias Cotez and Christopher Maloney was spot on. Another two I confused with each other was Neil McDonough and Paul Walker. They ended up in a film together, The Core, back in the 80s. Oh, then he has back in the 80s, Mickey Rourke and Bruce Willis looked alike. Before Willis did Die Hard, he was a TV star in a show called Moonlighting. And when a theater worked, I, theater I worked at showed Angel Heart, people said he looks like the guy from Moonlighting. Yeah, I remember Moonlighting. Um... One that is on canny res uh, resonance is Anthony Michael Hall and character actor Terry Serpico. I first heard of Terry uh, Serpico, or is it Sir Surico? You spelled it two different ways there. When he was on Rescue Me, I thought it was Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, Serpico uh, recently was on Cobra Kai. Once again, I thought it was Anthony Michael Hall because the show romanticizes the 80s with a great heaping of revisionist history. So it made sense for them to cast an 80s star and it ended up being Tony Serpico. Uh, then he says, this is in regard to the Patreon pick comedy actors in dramatic role. Jim Carrey did a ton of dramas, but two that stick out were The Majestic, which was directed by Frank Darabont and featured a couple of actors from Walking Dead, Jeffrey Dumont and Hollywood Crush, my Hollywood crush, Larry Holden. Yeah, Jeffrey Dumont is in like in every Frank Darabont movie. Um, I love the theme in the movie theater, bringing a community together. I believe that's still the case. It had other such themes, such as the hope uh, that a man's son would come back from the war, as well as the McCarthy hearings. As a tidbit of info, Sean Joseph McCarthy was John Kennedy's mentor. Okay. Senator Joseph McCarthy. Another, uh, anyway, another film he was in uh, a bit briefly was Simon Birch in which he played Joseph uh, Mazzello's character as an adult quickly about Casablanca, which in my opinion has the most famous quotes. I uh, had one of my favorite scenes in all movies, the scene where Victor Laszlo, Paul Henry drowns out the Nazis with the French national anthem. Conrad Vitt from the cabinet of Dr. Caligari in the man who last plays the Nazi commander. Yeah. Yeah. I knew, I knew that actor was in a couple movies. I just could not, could not register him. Um, Barnaby Collins here. Barnabas. Sorry, I always do that. Sorry, uh, Dark Shadows, man. Uh, laughing my ass off so good. I'm thinking of somebody else. You're thinking of Dick Clark. Yes, how'd you know? Because I know you. Actually, it was Clark Gable. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Confirming how well you know him. So funny, I was laughing out loud. Good stuff, guys. Uh, about like an Abbott Costello skit. Loved it. Have a Merry Christmas, you two. Thank you. You too. Uh, Uzi Suicide 666. Still waiting on the folklore box set to be shipped. I'm sure with the mandatory 15 shipping on it, it will arrive here the same day it ships. Ha! It came pretty quick, actually. Isimisio, I still need to see Censor, and I do find myself enjoying most video nasties, even though most aren't that nasty. The power stated uh, started out good for me, but tanked halfway through. Sador, I appreciate it because it's a very personal film for the director, and any time anyone puts that much blood, sweat, and tears into a project, I have to respect. Glad Jeremy finally watched Black Christmas. I picked 
Death Dream, hands down, is my fave Bob Clark film. Unpopular opinion, but love Death Dream. I hope you have a great Xmas holiday season. I think uh, Death Dream is my favorite as well. Ice Ice Bowie, been watching you since 2009 and every single video since then. I learned something new and interesting. Thanks for all the years of greatness. Happy holidays to you and yours, my friend. Thank you. Back at you. Burns Burns. David Bruckner is remaking Hellraiser from the Hellbound novel. I really love The Night House. It's my best 2021s. Um, yeah, that's going to be interesting, Hellraiser. I'm already liking what I'm hearing so far. Jesse Bard. Uh, Tony Randall and Ronnie McDowell. I can never tell both of them at the same time. Remember both of them at the same time. J.L. Warren, Tom Hardy, and Logan Marshall Green. Matthew uh, Baldwin, Ernie Hudson, and Keith David. If they have both have a mustache, i got to look for the gap in uh, Keith uh, teeth. Uh, John Devlin, uh, Paul Rude, and D.B. <laughs> Sweeney, Rich Rabbit, Zoe Deschel, and Katy Perry. Watson, there was a time, maybe 10 years back, when you could mistake one Javier Bardem for one Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Chris Sloan, Kurt Russell, and Patrick Swayze, Ryan Reynolds and Ben Affleck, Jared Leto, and Jake Gyllenhaal. William Adcock, uh, Chris Sloan, my wife constantly confuses Kurt Russell and Patrick Swayze. Glad she's not alone. Brandon Orlick, Morgan Fairchild, and Morgan Freeman. We get it, okay. Tim Walker, Charles During, and Brian Dennehy. That's a good one. Uh, Bill Casanelli, Keith David, and David Keith. John Soloway, maybe an, uh, he says if Keith David, oh, he posts a little joke here. If Keith David, David Keith and Keith David were to start together on a movie called David and Keith, where David Keith played Keith David and Keith David played David Keith, would the universe explode? Uh, Bill Casanelli thinking he's the joke man. Uh, Gary Oldman and Gary Coleman, maybe by name though. Sometimes that does happen. Uh, William Adcock, Walter Matthau, and Martin Landau, Justin Kosh, Dylan McDermott, and Dermot Mulroney. And that's going to pop up several times, and I will not be saying it every time. Um, he says, my dad confused them, too. He's, he's seen one on screen and call him by the other name. Bobby Morgan, Saturday Night Live did a game show parody based on the same premise. Sean Donahue, Bill Pullman, and Jeff Daniels, Edward Payson, Samara Weaving, and Margot Robbie. Uh, he says, the Wolf Brothers, uh, Margot Vintian, Vince Vaughn, and God. Uh, Mark Humphreys, the actress in Ready or Not, Samara Weaving, and Margaret Robbie. Uh, Antonio Padilla, Dylan McDermott, Delmar Maroney, Jacqueline Junkier, Michael Sarah, Jesse Eisenberg, they look so much alike to me, Rebecca Reinhardt, Ilsa Fisher, and Amy Adams, Peter England, uh, he does Maloney Cotez, uh, Kenneth McMillan, and Charles Durning, also a very good one, Jenny Murray, Margaret Robbie, Samara Weaving, that one pops up a lot too, Jordan Benning, Tom Hardy, and David Cor uh, Logan Green, that's big too, uh, Allison Egan, every single one of the one I was thinking on here, except Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. Shazine Barbarian, Willem Dafoe and Crimson Heavenworth, because they look so similar. J.K., all the Baldwin brothers that are not Stephen or Alec. So you're talking about William and Daniel. I think Daniel looks a lot like Alec. Uh, Mar Marcus Cook, the four uh, the four other actresses who look like Margaret Robbie. Lacey Liu, we got Tom Hardy, and Jeremy Redner. Virginia Shine, Jodie Foster and Helen Hunt, Sherman Hirsch, Joan, and Broderick Crawford, Steve and Butterfly McQueen, Andrew Chase Blidso, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Javier Bardem, Jonathan Knight, Wesley Snipes, and Bob Hoskins. Come on now. Uh, Jonathan Moody, Amy Schumer, and Rebel Wilson, Vincent uh, Piranera, uh, Bill Pullman, and Bill Paxton, Simpsons. Um, they post a Bill Pullman joke here. Jeremiah Ball, when I was younger, Russell and Swayze, David Luton, have James, James Parker, an Italian horror legend, George Eastman, ever been in the same room? I think not. No, no, we haven't. Matthew, Matt Jessel, Susan Sarandon, and Leslie Ann Warren, Angela Jane Negney. Yes, every time I watch Clue, I'm like, that's Susan Sarandon. Um, she also says David Borgnese and Craig Schaefer. 
Connor Gorman Coffey, uh, Jerry Bauman, and Stephen Tobolowski, Jeffrey Jim, Jimmy Dempsey, Margaret Robbie, and the chick from Ready or Not, uh, Mike Merriman, Miles Teller, Chris Marquette, and oh, Dylan Trey, uh, Trenholm. I don't know how to say your last name, Dylan Trenholm. Uh, Barry Ellis, I used to get Amanda Pete and Lake Bell confused all the time. I've become a fan of Lake Bell, so I don't anymore, but I swore they were the same person for years. Gabrielle Jewett, Winona Ryder, and Rainbow Harvest. Carly Sonnefeld, Sigourney Weaver, and Susan Sarandon, Michael Fisher, Jeff Daniels, and Davy Couillet, Nathan Thomas Melander. Growing up, I mixed up Stephen Mott and Fred Ward. Me too. Uh, also, Stephen Dorff and Bradley Gregg, despite big age difference. And then Dylan McDermott and David Duchovny, George Siegel, Albert Finley. Guy who takes the desk look out in Die Hard and Huey Lewis. Oh, you talk about the Texas guy. Uh, Coyle Vega, Huey Lewis. Um, he basically, okay, so... All right, Thomas Filano, I know they look nothing alike. One is white and one is black, but I always confuse David Keith and Keith David. One was in The Thing as Childs, and the other has made many other films. Tracy Allen, uh, me too. Michael uh, Veneers, growing up, I got Patrick Swayze and Dennis Quaid confused a lot. Andrew Martin Hogston, uh, David Keith, Keith David, Dan Carroll. Um, Susan Sarandon totally looks like Leslie Ann Warren from Clue. Hayden Hall, Dennis, uh, Denise uh, Richards, and Rebecca Gayhart. Matthew Hudson, as a kid, David Warner, Alan Rickman, and Charles Dance were essentially the same guy. As an adult, I know better, but when I was younger, not so much. Kit Kinsley, Sandra Bullock, and Julia Roberts. Got a lot. Everybody came in to answer on this one. Patrick Flynn, uh, Margaret Robbery, and Jamie, I believe, is at Presley. Um, I'm not sure. Jamal Potter, Patrick Flynn, yeah, but they the same. All right, so... Uh, he says, uh, Logan, Marshall Green, and Tom Hardy, Morgan Suspic. My roommate always does uh, Kurt Russell and Jeff Bridges. I think Kurt Russell and David Keith are identical. My other roommate said Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. There we go. Madeline Deering, Chanum Taining, and Ryan Gosling. Mike Ma Malloy, it's nuts how much these two de are dead ringers. And he puts, uh, who is it, uh, Gary Renecki and Frederick Forrest. Mm. I know Frederick Forrest. Uh, the other guy looks familiar. I'd have to see a movie. Uh, Tracy Allen, Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman. Yeah, I know. Peter Englund, Keith David, David Keith. Gary Worley. I don't get them confused, but I always thought Patrick Swayze. I meant Patrick Swayze and Kurt Russell look alike. Maybe that's why Kurt got Tangled in Cash because they originally wanted Stallone and Swayze, but Patrick turned it down. Nathan Rumler. It took me a long time to realize DJ Qualls and John Hawks were two different people. Um, Felton Jackson, Kurt Russell, Patrick Swayze, Susan Root. Um, that was just a Christmas thing. Kevin Keegan, Daniel Radcliffe, and Elijah Wood. Jamal Potter, Anthony Hopkins, and Julie Dench are somewhat. Uh, Tracy McFace, all the men in American Horror Story look alike. Uh, Kevin Michael Jones, Liv Tyler, and Evangelina Lilly. So, of course, Peter Jackson cast both. Uh, Jeremy R. Oh, boy, grab a chair. Corey Walter. Russell Crowe and Gerard Butler, Jerry Cortez, David Keckner and Rod Cordy. I'd also add like James Golfini, James Gandolfini and Chris Bear. Two other ball guys that look similar to me. Uh, Jimmy Dempster. Here's a triple. Chris Holmes from Wasp, Mark Hamill and Peter Dinklage. Uh, there we go. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Susan Stuart Townsend. When he tried to be the vampire, Lasat and Queen of the Damned, and pretty much any model shot. Uh, Nayara Knightley takes with shorter hair. Jason Lindbergh, Alan Sheedy, and Jennifer Jason Lee, Aaron Mazzola. I can't think of any I confuse, but a lot of people say Bill Burr and Joey Pants. I don't think they look super alike, but they do sound very similar. Zach Puccinelli, Dylan McDermott, and Dermot Mulroney. 
Nick Mua. I hope you had a happy Christmas, sir, but my best to you and yours for the coming year. Because of the Phantom Menace, I Carmen dating myself. I know. I confused Natalie Portman and the Air Knight, uh, Keir Knightley for some time. As for the dudes, uh, McDermott and Maroney look somewhat simpler and their names sound alike. What's in uh, a name? Question mark. Quite a bit, I would say. Lastly, Mr. Parker has a certain Tom Hardy vibe. We all know it's true. What? No. Um... Questions. You said you love of a film came from watching movies of your parents or grandparents. Did they dislike TV, a.k.a. The Idiot Box? Is that why you don't like it? No, my parents didn't like dislike TV. I just don't care for television anymore because when you're younger, the TV was always on. You just you just watch whatever they put on. You know, you didn't have every movie at your fingertips. And I just don't have time for TV. I don't have time to get invested in that stuff. And uh, I like comedy shows still. I could probably watch a lot of those because, you know, it's not like a direct thing, but a lot of these shows go on for seven seasons, and the last season just shits to bed, and people feel like they wasted six seasons worth. My parents watch television, though. Um, two, have you ever bought a film you disliked uh, on DVD, Blu-ray, solely because the extra features look good? I'm considering ordering Vestron's release of Candyman Day of the Dead. Yeah, sometimes. Or I've watched one, and I was like, I wish this movie had good features so they could explain why this movie's such a mess. Three, would you ever watch a movie continuation of a TV show if said movie looked interesting? Uh, or would you watch a couple episodes first to get up to speed? Wait, would you ever watch a movie continuation of a TV show? I might. Yeah, I probably would. I watched The House of Dark Shadows, and, uh, yeah, I watched the um, the sequel, The House of Dark Shadows, that was, like, made after the TV show, so I would. Neil Machendo, uh, he does Milroney and McDermott. Travis Eddings, Charlie Sheen looks a lot like Balbazar Getty. So, you know what? I didn't plan a question of the week this week. I thought I'd come up with one going through all those. So I'll probably just post a little thing right here so you can answer when I come up with one. Because I am brain dead right now. We're going to hop into that update. All right, let's hop into this update. First up is the 4K of Inglorious Bastards. I heard this isn't a great-looking 4K, but for the price, I decided to give it a chance. Love this movie. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while. You know, a lot of these epic long movies you watch a couple times when they come out and you don't get a chance to rewatch. But love this one. Remember, digging it quite a bit when it came out. Next up is an order from DDD House. There's a few in here. This is In Between Loves. This looks kind of like a comedy Hong Kong kind of flick. Looks like it has some slasher elements to it, but it's probably going to be more of a ghost story if I remember. I can't remember 100% what this one's about. So, yeah. Then up here we have the live-action version of Wicked City. I heard that this is really crazy. Uh, yeah, based off the anime which I need to watch both. I'll probably do a double feature of both of those. I'm really excited to do that when I get a chance. So, yeah. And we have up here Evil Instinct, I believe this is this one called. Yeah. Uh, this one did get two good reviews, but um, I was ordering a couple, and the price was really good on this one, so I ended up going with it. So, yeah. It's got the Cat 3 on there, so why not? Can't go wrong with Cat 3 for about 10 bucks. So then we have Hansel and Gretel. This is, I believe, the Korean uh, horror film. Uh, I've not seen this one. Uh, there's, I know there's a handful of movies called Hansel and Gretel. So, yeah, this is from Media Blaster's release. So Then we have a couple of weird animes that uh, my friend recommended. They were dirt cheap on the Right Stuff anime price. It was Blood Shadow, so this looks pretty off the wall. Uh, yeah. And then we have um, <laughs> Angel Blade. So, yeah, these look like they're, like, smut entertaining i not 100 they got uh, little diamonds on their nipples there so yeah always that 
to follow that up, we have the Maltese Falcon, which is great. You got to follow up porn anime with uh, or hentai or whatever the hell you call it with the Maltese Falcon. Keep keep it classy, right? Like this movie, I had to have it, so a good price. Then we have uh, the partner label stuff from Vinegar Syndrome. We have Savage Harvest by Eric Stanzi. I love this movie. Great SOV flick. Uh, one of the coolest ones. Always dug this one. Very excited to finally have this um, uh, Blu-ray nice edition and everything like that. It has new making of, too. So if you guys haven't seen uh, Savage Harvest, this is what a good SOV movie is supposed to look like. This and Shattered Dead, stuff like that, man. Great stuff. And we have Rebels of the Neon God. This looks pretty cool. This one I didn't know much about. I think I had seen the title a little bit, so I made sure I kind of watched like one of the trailers, and I was like, "All right, that sounds like I can, I can get behind it. I can dig it." So I ended up ordering that one. Uh, then we have Detention, which is one that I actually had heard a little bit about. I think just the title alone. Um, spooky ghost story, Asian style. I'm into these for sure. I believe it is a good, yeah, Ghost of Four Monsters that take place. Yeah, sounds awesome. Sounds up my alley. I like the partner label stuff a lot. A lot of it's really good. Um, then we have Being Natural. This movie looked really bizarre, uh, out there kind of film. So I'm into that kind of stuff. Whoa. That looks intense. Then we got one more of the partner label stuff. We have... Arabato, uh, aka the Rupture, I believe, or Rapture, which is supposed to be a really pretty much uh, very popular Spanish kind of horror film, and it's got the lead in here. Uh, the main guy in the front, he's uh, actually on uh, the slipcover, was in what was that movie? Jeez, um, Cannibal Man, which is a really cool movie. So this looks this looks awesome. Definitely going to check this one out when I get a chance. Uh, I know it's got some good good reputation. So we get into some more of the Blu-rays here. We have the Screen Factory Collector's Edition of Vampire Lovers by Rory Ward Baker with Ingrid Pitt. Love this movie. I guess they're going to send a replacement disc out because there was one altered scene or something of nudity that's not right. Then we have Trog from 1970. Um, so is Vampire Lovers also from 1970. This movie's ridiculous, but entertaining. <laughs> yeah, uh, I laugh a lot during that one. And then we have No Way to Treat a Lady with Rod Steiger, Lee Remick, George Siegel. I heard this is an interesting one. I think uh, Gary, um, oh, geez, what's Gary's last name? I can't believe I'm doing I'm getting so old. Uh, Gary from Cinema Beefs mentioned this movie when he's on 22 Shots, and it sounded like totally up my alley, cross-dressing Rod Steiger. And then we have Time of the Wolf by Michael Henneke, and his movies are usually pretty freaking grueling. So I picked this one up. Don't know much about it. Sounded good, though. I like the stuff that I've seen him put out. Then we have Tower of Screaming Virgins. I picked this up because Rebecca McKendry mentioned this on her Colors of the All the Colors of the Dark podcast, and I did not know about this one. So I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. So I ended up grabbing this. It looks like kind of a made-on-demand Blu-ray, but you can grab it on Amazon. Then we have some DVDs. I ended up picking up That Little Monster from 1994. I enjoyed this one enough to go ahead and seek out the Elite DVD, so I figured, why not? This is a really bizarre, goofy movie, as you can tell, with the mutant baby on there. Um, and these next ones, I don't know what I was thinking. I I, <laughs> I don't even know if I should show them because they're so weird. But uh, I listened to this podcast, Sick on Cinema. A good podcast. You should check it out. And they cover some of the extreme stuff. And they were talking about this website called Collectibles, which kind of specializes in serial killer memorabilia, which is not my thing. I'm not a collector of that kind of stuff. 
But uh, they were mentioning these movies. Um, anybody knows the case um, of this character, this person? What was his name? Um, Sawa. Um, anyways, he was famous because he was a student, I think, in France, and he ended up eat, murdering and eating this poor girl. And he got off on a technicality or something. I don't remember exactly the the details of the case, but he came like this weird kind of like pop culture icon or some sorts or, or weird kind of dark pop culture icon and they made like a series of films with them in it and it's just so bizarre so these are kind of like he's not actually making money from these he's dead or nobody is but these are like these weird bootlegs that he ended up making that um kind of follow him i want to eat you which i think is actually a film that's based on the true case see if I cover this up and these are the how does it feel and the Sagawa Olympics which I don't know if I could show the back of a lot of this stuff I can show you the back because there's nudity covered up there but it's just such a bizarre thing like where you're like I don't know why this exists and normally I wouldn't uh get love ritual this one I want to eat you might be something different it might be a documentary about him. I'm not 100% sure all the, what these all... I think I Want to Eat You is the uh, film version of it. But I just am kind of very confused that these even exist. And uh, my curiosity got the best of me. And I had to see them. So that's why I ordered them. But yeah, you can still pick those up at the Cult Collectibles website and everything like that. They have a lot of stuff if you're interested in that stuff. It's just not my thing. But I am interested in the movies and everything like that. So yeah, let's hop back to the video. Okay, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Okay, let me get the...